Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today I am joined by Dr. Nate Zinser, author of The Confident Mind. Dr. Zinser works with top US military to prepare them mentally for leadership and for action. He also trains top sportsmen and women to develop their self-belief and confidence, which is essential for world-class performance. As well as directing the Performance Psychology Program at the United States Military Academy for more than 27 years, Dr. Zinsa's private practice has worked with ballerinas, neurosurgeons, congressional candidates and pro NFL players. It's a really fascinating conversation that I really enjoyed. We talked today about why it is so important for us to understand confidence, self-belief, when confidence becomes overconfidence and the dangers of that and our perception of confident people and leaders, specifically when it comes to men and women. So I really enjoyed this. And most of all, Dr. Zinsa's take on the power hour and how he starts his day is so beautiful. So let's dive into this week's episode with Dr. Nate Zinsa. Welcome to the power hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Dr. Nate Zinser, welcome to the Power Hour podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. As someone who often motivates others, I encourage people to take action and to make change. That's why a lot of people tune into this podcast to get motivated. Confidence is something that I'm asked about often. Now, I know with your work, somebody who's worked with a huge variety of high performing people from pro athletes to ballerinas, business leaders uh, for such a long time, you have so much experience and expertise in this area of confidence. So I'm hoping that you're going to be able to answer some of their questions for me today. I think I can do that, Adrian. Let's give it a shot. (laughs) Okay, great. Well, I guess the first place to start off is one of the most common things that I hear when people talk about confidence. And that is an assumption that confidence is something you're simply born with or born without. So it's part of our personality trait. Some people are just confident and some people aren't. Now I've been listening to to your book on Audible. We're going to get into all of that. And I know that this is something that isn't necessarily true. So could you perhaps start off by telling us how you define confidence and is it something that some people just have more of than others? Certainly. Uh, My functional definition of confidence, the one that I would share with anybody who actually wants to be out there in the world, you know, working, playing, performing, um, is simply this. Confidence is a sense of certainty that you have about a particular ability or set of abilities, which allows you to perform those abilities more or less unconsciously. And by that, I mean you do what you know how to do without thinking to yourself about how to do it while you are doing it or thinking about the potential outcomes. Um, All of those distractions simply get in the way of the execution of your well-learned skills. So confidence is a sense of certainty that allows you to do what your body and mind are capable of doing without having to think and be self-conscious about it. Mm. 
Yes, and self self conscious, I think, is the word. When, as you were just as you were just describing that, I was thinking about public speaking because I'm somebody who does a lot of public speaking, and I, over time and over repetition, have become a much more confident speaker. But I know for a lot of people that is a fear. They say, "Oh, you know what? Actually, I I speak every single day. I know exactly what I want to say. I know how I want to say it. And as soon as I stand up in front of whether it's five people or fifty, they'll describe this feeling of." hyper self-conscious awareness you know what are my hands doing what do i how do i stand what how do i speak and suddenly this something that you do every single day becomes really really difficult and really really scary um that is precisely the experience that a lot of people have they say you know the fear of public speaking is greater than the fear of dying for some people wow um <laughs> and it, it is indeed as you put it that hyper self-consciousness Okay, you don't need to have that. You can be certain about your ability to speak through some practice to the point where, um, you know, you're talking to five people, you're talking to 50 people, you're talking to 500 people, and you're still talking about what you know. The task itself really hasn't changed, but it's your perception and your imagination running wild with that task that has indeed changed. And those things are all within your control with a little work and a little practice. Hmm. And I mentioned that it's not necessarily a personality trait. So confidence is something that we can improve on, something we can practice, as you say. But what are some of the common reasons that someone may lack self-confidence in the first place? Because of the habitual way that they have been thinking about themselves, and the habitual ways that they have been encouraged to think about themselves. Um, We get a lot of messages, um, both on this side of the pond and on your side of the pond, that we should not be too full of ourselves. We should not think too highly of ourselves. We should be modest. We should be humble. We should be respectful. And all of those traits are absolutely wonderful. But those messages do sometimes encourage us to discount our accomplishments, to discount our abilities, to remind ourselves that, well, I might be okay, but I still really have to work on this other part, and I'm really not complete yet. And as a result of that, our, our habitual way of thinking about ourselves is one of lack, one of inadequacy, one of insecurity. And so now when we have to step into a spotlight, whether it's uh, to speak before a group or to play a tennis match in a big tournament, um, whatever it might be, it's very easy for us to become, as you put it, hyper self-conscious. That need not persist over time. Yeah, it's a really interesting point that you made there, something I want to touch on a little bit more. And it's this idea that I definitely think in British culture, maybe it is the same around the world, people are often quite scared skeptical or even offended or they kind of dislike people who are who display confidence and if people seem to be overconfident then we always seem to I don't know we root for the underdog we like this humble unassuming leader we prefer them to you know we we want them to win rather than the the overconfident front runner so why is it that we have that reaction to confident people why does it turn us off so much um I think what it does when we see somebody, you know, sort of beat their chest and proclaim their outstanding qualities, um, 
it sets us off in that here's somebody who's trying to basically separate him or herself from the clan, the tribe, and inclusiveness kind of matters to us as a, as a species. We survived hundreds of thousands of years during the Pleistocene um, because of our tribal unity and our ability to cooperate. And when someone sort of proclaims that they're, you know, better, outstanding, et cetera, et cetera, it, it kind of goes against our, our tribal programming a little bit. Um, the, the important thing, I think, for your, for your listeners is to understand that, you know, confidence, the way I describe it, the way I work with it and uh, train it through my work and through the book is really not at all that loud, brash, outspoken arrogance. Confidence is simply a sense of certainty that you have about yourself. It's an internal process. You can be very polite, very modest, very respectful, and still have a strong sense of what you are able to do. We confuse that all the time. And it's very important that we get past that. There are so many examples of quiet, modest, respectful people on the outside, but on the inside, they are very confident and very sure of themselves. Unfortunately, our media, especially the sports media, loves to pick up on the, the athlete who boasts, um, you know, Conor McGregor is a wonderful example um, of an outspoken, um, very extroverted, uh, very confident athlete. And his proclamations about how he, how he would win and uh, when he in a fight he would be closing it down and why he would win those outward proclamations of confidence i i think irritated a few people um i would certainly encourage anybody who's going to step into a full contact um mixed martial arts ring to have a heck of a lot of confidence uh, otherwise otherwise you're not going to last very long um but the media loves to pick up on those uh examples like uh, Conor McGregor, but the media does not tend to pick up on all the other examples of very quiet confidence that is just as strong as what Mr. McGregor displays, but because you happen to be a more uh, introverted individual, because you're not comfortable speaking out about yourself, um, you don't come across as arrogant or boastful. Mm. Yeah, and, so and the I, environment and the setting, as you described then, is really, really important because, for example, if I was having a, a surgery, uh, I, I would want the, the surgeon to be incredibly confident in the in their abilities, as you said, they're knowing that they can do exactly what they're going to do. I would want my surgeon to be incredibly confident that they're going to have a successful surgery. But I think the environment, as you describe, and, and the perception of our own ability or, or how we communicate that to others is often when I think people will, yeah, label people as a show off or say, oh, you know, this person thinks that they, they know everything or they can do everything. And I think actually when it comes to leadership, I think that's also where it can potentially be quite dangerous when people are overconfident. Do you think that that potentially blinds them to their own flaws or, or, or stops them from maybe listening to feedback and taking on other people's ideas because they're so confident that they think that they, they know best? Absolutely. They think that they know best to the point where they don't listen to um, 
their players. They don't listen to their subordinates in a business setting, uh, in a military setting. That what just what you're describing um, is the harbinger of tragedy. If you don't listen to the soldiers on the ground who are actually knowing what's going on and you're back um, in a tactical operations center uh, and you have you may have a directive from your chain of command upward. But if you're not listening to the people on the ground and you're not taking that information in, um, you could be putting your people in danger. And unfortunately, that has happened all too often. Mm. Yeah, and I guess in everyday in our everyday lives, I think we hear more from the media, as you described, about people being overconfident and being a bad thing. But most people in reality, I think, want to become more confident. They say, oh, you know, I'm not very self-confident. I, I lack uh, self-confidence in certain situations. They talk a lot about imposter syndrome and not feeling like they're good enough. But then on the other extreme, we all know those people who have <laughs> seem to have an abundance of confidence, more so than they actually have talent. I know someone in particular who springs to mind, and it's almost like this ignorant blissfulness that they genuinely just think that they can do they're so fantastic and they can do it and you kind of I kind of envy them sometimes because I think wow what must it be like to just be that confident that you're almost uh, almost bordering on disillusion so what's going on there when someone just thinks that for example they, they look at a list of 10 things they might need to do to apply for a job and they go yeah I can do all of those even if they don't actually have experience in any of them hmm the capacity for self-delusion is um, vast in human beings. Now, a little bit of that I think is okay, but what you're describing, Adrian, is something way over the top. Um, I am always counseling people to look at your accomplishments, look at your progress, draw from that evidence a sense of certainty about yourself, but at the same time, let's Let's be a little bit realistic about what we actually need to be working on, what we actually need to be practicing. Um, there is a fine line to be drawn. And mm. some people, as you're describing, fall way to one side of that line and they proclaim competence, they proclaim proficiency in areas that they really don't have. On the other side of the line, there is a great mass of people who have a heck of a lot more competency than they will acknowledge to themselves. And those are the people who are afraid to step up and make a speech. Those are the people who are hesitant to play the tennis match to win. Those are the people who are always telling themselves, gosh, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not sure. I better be careful here. I better not mess up. Let's just try to get through this and look good. As opposed to, okay, I know what I can do. Let's see how well this can turn out. Let's play to win. Let's give this speech and see how good a connection I can make with my audience. Mm. And, and do you, with all the experience and all the work that you've, that you've done, are there any standout differences between men and women when it comes to how confidence is perceived and and our own and how we perceive our own abilities, often confident men, I, I see them as being described as leaders. And we tell even young boys, you know, they, we tell young boys to be leaders and to be confident, whilst often confident females, confident women, confident girls can be labeled as, as bossy or, you know, outspoken. So yeah, do you see any clear differences between men and women when it comes to confidence? Well, I, 
I see some clear cultural differences that you just described. Um, little boys are encouraged a bit more to be assertive. Um, young girls tend to be encouraged not to be so assertive. Um, we're working very hard to change that because there's no reason why a young girl can't be as confidently assertive while still being polite and respectful. Um, here in, in the States at our United States Military Academy, 22% uh, of our cadets are young women and they are now being prepared for leadership roles, um, not just in support um, arms situation, but they are being trained for leadership roles in combat arms. Young women are going to Army Ranger School. So I think we're, we're slowly cracking that and shifting the needle a little bit in allowing women to be respectfully assertive in the same way we're encouraging young men to be assertive. Um, historically, you're completely right. Women who were assertive could be perceived as bossy. Um, I like to think that that's not so much a an inherent gender difference. That's just a cultural um, situation, which luckily is be is shifting a little bit. And I think we're also shifting it with a lot of young men. Look, son, you don't get to just be the boss because you're a boy, because you're male. You, you might get to be the boss because you are indeed um, better knowledgeable in certain areas, better skilled in certain areas, but it's those actual competencies that might qualify you for a leadership position, not simply because of your gender. Um, I hope mm. the world continues to be more equitable um, in encouraging mm. young men and young women to bring their best foot forward, to learn to believe in what they have, and also learn to be respectful of everybody else out there in the world. Yeah, amen. I hope so too. And I do, I do agree. I think that it is changing. It certainly seems to be changing in 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 within my work and within the world that I work in. And I think that women more than ever in in some areas are actually yeah really being celebrated in in sense that you, that you being a, being confident, being a leader and, and showing young people, showing young girls that, yeah, they really can achieve anything. And that actually being confident isn't a bad thing. As you described, it's not, it's not arrogance. It's not rude. It's not about extrovert or introvert, but actually confidence is something that we can celebrate, which is fantastic. And I'd love to, on this show, you know, I always want to give advice. I want people to be inspired, but more than that, I want them to have practical tools, tangible things, things they can actually implement themselves this week after listening to this and say, okay, I'm going to try that. So when it comes to confidence and high performance and doing things at your best when it matters the most, what are some practical tools, some things that people could start to try out for themselves? Absolutely. Um, the a very powerful tool is along the lines of managing one's memories, taking advantage of the thoughts that you have about things that have happened in your past. A daily confidence building exercise is a simple five minute reflection at some point toward the end of the day. At the end of your work day or at the end of your practice session, 
before you turn out the lights and sleep, do a five minute reflection. And I highly recommend pencil and paper for this. Uh, although I suppose if you want to use a notes app or uh, a Word document, you're more than welcome to do that. But record, think back to your day and record an episode or two of quality effort from your day. Where did you get something done that maybe you weren't all that excited about doing? Where did you overcome a little bit of procrastination? Where did you overcome a little bit of, of fear or fatigue and push yourself through maybe a particular exercise during your workout, you know, through a particular drill in your practice, through a particular task at your workplace? go ahead and note an episode or two of quality effort. All right. That's your E. What you also should be doing in that same few minutes is just record an episode or two of success. What did you get right today? It doesn't have to be a big thing. You know, you didn't win a Nobel prize. Um, you didn't win the world cup, but you know, did you get through that stack of papers? Did you connect with a customer? Did you succeed at a drill in your athletics practice? Record an episode or two of success, however small that success might be. That's your S. So we have the E and the S. And now do one more little reflective exercise. What does it seem like you're making progress in? If you look back over yesterday and the day before and the day before, what might you be getting progress in? Is your um, is your upper body strength improving? Is your foot speed improving? Is your articulation about a particular point with your um, work team improving? Record an element of progress. That's your P. E for effort, S for success, P for progress. Just this daily ESP reflection is a very powerful tool because it helps you look for the best in yourself and it builds that certainty. I think of it as a bank account. You're putting deposits into a bank account, which then you can use when it's time to step into the spotlight, be it professionally, athletically, however. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I love the idea of reflection, doing a, a daily practice. And also, I think when you look back, if you do that, say, for example, you do that for six weeks when you are lacking in self-confidence or when you are having those moments where you feel like you're not making progress or you feel like you know you're plateauing which actually is something else that i want to touch on you can look back and see the improvements because it's, it's often very difficult for us to to notice you know one percent improvement but when you look back over a few weeks over a few months that's when i think you can really see okay wow showing up every day and putting in those miles or you know earning my stripes or you know reading those pages or writing that book i think doing the repetition nothing can replace it and when you look back and see wow i've done all of that in six weeks that's also incredibly motivating i think to, to carry on yes that is absolutely where the magic is it's these small things that happen day after day none of which are particularly noteworthy in and of themselves but collectively they they comprise your momentum as you go forward with your life. So looking for these small things, that those little tiny gains are what keep you in the game, what keep you going. Mm. 
And, and when we're talking about it like this now, you know, I, I often get very animated and very excited about, you know, encouraging. And as I said, looking back and saying, wow, look what you've achieved. But something that really stood out to me in one of the early chapters of your book was talking about this idea of plateau and the kind of misconception that when you start doing the work, you start training for the race or you start uh, studying, you're just going to have incremental improvement. And when we have that expectation, then off we go and we're so motivated for the first week or two. But then we hit, you know, week four, week five, and maybe we're not improving in speed. Maybe we're not improving uh, where we want to be. And suddenly it feels like, well, I'm still doing the work. I'm still showing up. I'm still putting in the effort, but I don't seem to be seeing reward. And for a lot of people, as we know, getting started is actually the easy bit. We always say getting started is difficult. Actually getting started can be easy, but seeing things through to completion and finishing things is often very, very hard. And I think it, yeah, it probably has a lot to do with this plateau effect in the middle. So when that happens, happens which it inevitably will what can we do and how can we I, I suppose push through even if we're not getting the reward of, of improvement at those moments you really have to look at your daily effort and take pride in those small episodes of quality effort and you need to do that with the understanding that eventually your effort is going to produce a level of change in your nervous system and suddenly there will be that wonderful aha moment where an improvement is palpable. That improvement is taking place during the plateau. It hasn't developed to the level that is noticeable yet. But the small changes, the refinements in your nervous system, the refinements in your muscular system, the refinements all throughout your body and mind are taking place as long as you're putting in the quality effort. So you've got to take pride in that effort and sustain that effort. And eventually there will be a certain critical mass of change taking place due to that effort. And bang, that's where we get that little spurt. That's where we get that little jump up, and that is when the, the gratification uh, can kick in. Unfortunately, we live in such an um, immediate gratification world that often when we don't see an equal um, and commensurate degree of improvement with each and every investment of effort, we become impatient and we become dissatisfied, and we can say, well, what's the point? I'm not work. I'm not getting any better. Why should I be working so hard? Um, but you have to understand that every minute of quality practice, every rep, every drill, every practice session, properly conducted, is actually creating some very beneficial changes in your nervous system, and ultimately, over time, they will bring about you know some some substantial improvement. Hmm. Well, this is a very timely conversation for me because I'll be honest with you and the listeners, when it comes to the physical practice, because I'm an endurance runner and I've been running for such a long time that when it comes to the physical, I really can just, yeah, show up, put in the miles. And I know I always tell myself the hard work is never wasted. So even if I'm not seeing improvement on the day or that week, I always show up and I can still do it. I can still do the physical training because I know, as you described, that over time, you know, putting in, you know, depositing the bank and 
keep going. I do, well, I know I'll see the reward, but where I think an example of myself where I'm just not able to do that is I... I downloaded uh, the Duolingo app, which I'm sure many people have downloaded before to learn a language. Now I did this last year. I pay for this app and I was trying to learn Italian. And honestly, I don't know how much progress I've made in a year, but it hasn't been a lot. And so that's somewhere where I just do. Yeah, I feel so. Uh, what many people probably do this feeling of, oh, well, I'm never going to be able to do it. Maybe I'm just not. Maybe learning a language is just not. Maybe your brain's just not wired in that way. And I give up and then I start again and then I give up and then I start again and I hit that plateau and I sometimes think yeah how am I going to get over that without other than moving to Italy which is an option which I would like to pursue (laughs) Um, but yeah I just think it's so hard when you hit that that wall to just to to think that actually carrying on is going to bring benefit well I would I would urge you to be very aware of the length of time that you have sustained your practice before you feel that you've hit the wall and you drop your practice off. How long is that? How many weeks of sustained effort were were you putting in? Honestly, I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's honestly, it's probably only about four. Okay, it's about (laughs) four weeks. Okay, and I'm sure you could rattle off a few fine Italian phrases um, that you have acquired during during those four weeks. And if you're gonna pick it up again, um, you got to screw your head on pretty tight and say, I'm going to give myself five weeks this time. Hmm. And I will definitely stay with it at least that long and see if that length of time is sufficient enough to generate a, a new configuration, some new neural connections in that skull of yours. And aha, you get that moment where... Uh, some new conversation, some new idioms, some new grammar, um, some new uh, uh, vocabulary just sort of takes hold and you feel, oh yeah, I made, I actually have made some progress. So you're going to have to stay in your effort just a little bit longer than last time. Um, I wish, <laughs> I, I wish I could make, I wish I could make that more easier for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I refuse to sugarcoat the process of learning and the process of improvement. Mm -hmm. We all have the capability for it. I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying that the capability is within all of us. Let's go find out what it takes to improve that tennis serve, to improve your Italian vocabulary, to improve your knowledge of a given market or a given product or of, of a given customer demographic. Let's see how long it takes. Attack it with a little bit of curiosity. Let's see. I wonder, can this be done? Let's find out. I love it. It's definitely motivating me to stick with it. And it's so interesting how we can have these, you know, as I mentioned, I can stick with it when it comes to physical training because I've done it for so long. So in comparison to my four weeks of effort with Duolingo, I've been running consistently for nine years. So it's like, well, actually, if I put the same time and effort into learning a language, then I'm sure in nine years time, I'd be very proficient. But it's, it's just interesting how our in some areas of our lives, we can be incredibly disciplined or incredibly confident. And in others, we, we, it doesn't always translate. So thank you. I'm definitely going to bear that in mind. And I hope that the listeners will as well, because often they hear me talk and they're like, Adrian, you're always motivated. You're always doing it. But, you know, I have these uh, challenges just like everybody else. 
Well said, well said. So I'd love to talk to you about the new book, your book, The Confident Mind, which I've been listening to on Audible, really, really enjoying it. I recommend so many books to people. Um, and so the only way I'm, I'm able to to get through the volume of books that I do is by, by listening to them on Audible when I'm out running. So it shares a ton of research as well as real life stories and examples. And I was really curious to, to ask you, when you were writing this book, who did you have in mind? Because as I mentioned at the start, you've worked with so many high performing, incredible people, but you know, not everybody is going to run for presidency or win an Olympic medal. So yeah, who really was in your mind when you were writing this book? I was thinking about a, a very wide range of people, um, young men and women in high school, uh, college and university, professional people, what I, who I refer to as white collar athletes. I didn't necessarily write this for somebody who is training for an Olympic team, although I think there are a lot of people out there who are reading it right now um, in that particular category. I, I was looking to take what I have been training people to do uh, at West Point, which is a fairly uh, small segment of the population, a very elite level of the population, and see if I could encourage people in you know, much broader professional contexts, musicians, uh, medical students, um, law students, um, people who are involved in product development, research uh, uh, science, can we bring the same idea of looking for the best in yourself step-by-step step that I have encouraged athletes to do uh, for the last 30 years, can we broaden that out to the, you know, basically the widest possible uh, distribution, the widest possible number of different performance endeavors. So while there wasn't, I wouldn't say there was a particular person I was trying to reach. Um, mm -hmm. I was trying to reach every man and every woman who is striving to get somewhere, knowing that they perhaps got something that they haven't discovered yet, but they don't know how to go about it. They don't know how to get it. They don't know how to get over that little gap in confidence that is holding them back from expressing all their talent and all their hard work. Hmm. Yeah, because I think that is something that is shared universally. I think most people, as you described, they know that they would benefit in some way personally or professionally from improving their confidence, but it's the how, as you described, it's how right. can I actually do that um, and, and, and really be intentional about it as well, because often exactly. when we hear a conversation like this, you go, oh yeah, this is something I need to work on my confidence. But then if you don't, if you're not intentional, if you don't carve out some time to actually do that or read, you know, read a book or do this work, then it's not going to happen by itself. It's not going to happen by itself. And, you know, getting back to something that you mentioned at the top of our hour, uh, there are a whole lot of people who have never considered the idea that, oh, you mean I can develop my confidence? I thought it was just something that you had or didn't have, and there wasn't anything you could do about it. Um, if that's the way you think about your confidence, well, then, of course, it's never going to improve. But the science is clear and the real world experience is just as clear. Confidence is not a fixed dispositional trait. Confidence is a skill. Confidence is a 
uh, ability that you can develop and improve and get better and better and better at. And simply making that connection, simply understanding that process is hugely important. Yeah, for sure. It can unlock your, exactly as you described, thinking about it in a different way and going, oh, actually, this is something I can change. And as a parent as well, I think it's really important that we that we share that with our with our children because I definitely think that you know I definitely see it in my son in the areas that he lacks confidence already he's only 10 years old and already if there's an area that he lacks confidence or competency he kind of sums it already to say oh I'm just not good at that you know and he, and he thinks that or, or I'm just not that good at that instead of I always encourage him to say you're not that good at it yet but you can be if you you know if you if you try to be so yeah I think it's really important that our young people also grow up with that with that message not just the oh you can do anything attitude but understanding that these things are not fixed and that the effort and time that we put in will will pay off so in the edit process because i know that obviously when you write a book there's there's lots of edit processes there's probably lots of things that maybe didn't make it or or get changed along the way so was there anything is there anything maybe you can share with us that readers of of your book wouldn't know any stories that didn't make it in Oh, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of stories that didn't make it in. Um, I could tell you stories about uh, young men that I worked with for, you know, a couple of years and they were frustrated. They were uh, role players. They were uh, sitting on the bench, practicing every day, not getting a chance to get in the game. But they hung in there. They hung in there. I kept telling them. You, you're 10 seconds away from being in the starting lineup. Prepare with that in mind. Don't just think I'm stuck here. Prepare with the attitude that in, in, in 10 seconds, I could be going in. Am I ready to go in in 10 seconds? And I think some of those uh, young men and women had remarkable careers in their final senior year, their final last year at West Point, as a member of our athletic team. And um, they were quite successful in their final season simply because they were patient enough to prepare as if they knew they were going in. Um, mm. I, I think back especially to one young man who was, a, um, who was the number two uh, at our goalie position on our men's lacrosse team several years ago. Um, the starter was a extraordinarily talented player, very, very successful. Um, but his backup never really played except, you know, sort of cleanup duty in a few games. But he developed a sense of his own personal worth and personal value through his perseverance and through his practice. Uh, he graduated and went on to a very fine Army career. There's another story I could tell about a, a cadet who graduated, you know, playing one of the lesser known um, uh, club sports, you know, handball. But through his practice and through his development as an athlete, he learned to focus his uh, attention appropriately, to uh, manage energy appropriately, and he was able to translate those same skills 
into a remarkable army career. I love, you know, I think it's really important that we hear those stories because often we, you know, we just celebrate the, the hero's moment or, or the, or we all know the, the one person, the win in the winning spot. But I think it's really great to hear that. And also I love the idea of that prepare, you know, you could be going on in 10 seconds. I, it made me think of the theater and, you know, the understudy in the wings and being ready, being prepared for when that moment does come is so, so important. But yeah, I never thought about it like that before. You know, it could literally be in 10 seconds. So make sure you are ready when the moment comes. I love that. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, you mentioned the theater, and that is something that's been really interesting, especially during um, the COVID situation that we've all been dealing with over the last, you know, couple of years. Um, I saw a wonderful um, article regarding the necessity of the of the understudies for Broadway theater uh, here in the states the necessity of those people to be ready to go. And there was a great little story about how a understudy literally had about one day to prepare. This is a woman who had to learn multiple parts. She had to be ready to play several different roles, depending on who got sick mm -hmm. and who actually, and who actually was ready to go. Um, and the lead of the story Hugh Jackman, you know, Wolverine from the movies. Um, mm. He was able to make a great statement for this woman. You know, he stopped a curtain call to praise the understudies who had to step in for the star. Um, and he saluted the courage, the brilliance, the dedication uh, of these understudies. Um, these are very unprecedented times, said Miss Voidko in the same article. Um, mm. She, yeah. you know, Hugh came up to me right when I got to the rehearsal and he said, forget about perfection. Let's go have fun. Let's tell the story. And she was able to take some of the pressure off herself. And they actually had a great time performing. Um, she said, yeah, the blood was pounding in my ears and I was sweating like crazy, but I actually had a good time. Um, the ability to step in there, trust yourself enough with the, with the amount of practice that you have believing that that is enough even though you know when you think about it you know she only had you know she only had about four hours on stage to rehearse this new part but she had been training for years she had studied carefully and she had to believe in herself at the moment and that was a great moment in her life that i'm sure she'll never forget mm. Wow. Yeah. What a fantastic story. And I really like the idea that, you know, being prepared, being ready, because actually when that opportunity comes, you know, as he described, you know, different unprecedented times and all the different things that change and the inevitable uncertainty of life. If you are ready to put your hand up and say, I'm ready, I've, I'm, I've done the work, I'm prepared. When that opportunity comes, you're ready to seize it. I love it. This is fantastic. Thank you so much. I mean, before we wrap up the conversation, because I'm really enjoying this, I could talk to you for a lot longer, but we always, at the end of the episode, love to talk about the Power Hour, as that is the show. 
And the concept is, is very simple. You know, it's about dedicating the first hour of your day to doing something intentional, something meaningful. For me as an early riser, I've been doing this for six years. So I started getting up one hour earlier, six years ago to see, okay, what can I get done in one hour? This was when my son was a lot younger and I was thinking, okay, before he wakes up, before I have to do any work or be any place, let me just take one hour every day for myself. And I can honestly say that it's changed my life in more more ways than I can list. So yeah, in this part of the show, I'd love to hear from you, Dr. Nate Zinser, about your power hour, if you have one. What does the first hour of your day usually look like? Um, First hour of my day consists of um, working out a lot of the kinks. Uh, I'm I love to get when I whenever I can a hot shower just to start limbering up my 67 year old joints, um, and then I then I I stretch like a cat getting up out of the out of the reclining position, and I will do 15 minutes of meditation. I will work my breathing muscles. Uh, those are largely underdeveloped muscles in most of us. I will work my breathing muscles uh, in a upright seated position for 15 minutes. Um, and then I go about, you know, a, a, a quality breakfast, egg whites, spinach, you know, things like that. Um, and I will, after, a, as soon as breakfast is done, then I take my dog outside for a walk and I look at the sun come up. And that is always uh, symbolic of opportunity and possibility. Now, the cruelest thing that any of us can do is get out of bed and say, oh, here we go again, another day, same thing, just another day. No, there is no such thing as just another day. There is no such thing as an ordinary day. That That sun comes up. And as my longtime karate sensei, Mr. Tsutomo Oshima said, heaven gives you this chance. So part of my day is looking at that sun and saying, yep, I got a chance. Let's get after it. Wow. I couldn't think of a more beautiful end to the episode. That is one of the, actually one of my favorite answers I think I've ever heard when asking someone and I've done over 200 episodes. So thank you for that beautiful answer about the power hour. That's amazing. You're most welcome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. And thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. As always, I appreciate it. I will leave a note in the show notes for Dr. Zinsa's book, The Confident Mind. Cannot recommend it enough. Stay safe, everyone, and tune in next week when we'll be back with another episode. Thank you so much. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.